I think it gets to this point where even when the irrational thoughts in your head are saying you can't do this, it's like, dude, you've told me this 10 million times and I've done it before, so I'm gonna do it again. And yeah, sometimes I'm wrong and you know I fall over, but that's fine, you just get back up again. Welcome along to Versus Podcast. I'm Jade and this is Danny. We're two people based in the music industry in Birmingham. Each episode, we explore the reality of dealing with physical and mental health issues uh, as a music industry professional. The more we talk about these things, the more we break down any stigma or ableism. Discussions with our guests will take a look at their personal experiences and what help or support they found most beneficial. Hey, just so you know, we're not trained medical professionals. We're not trying to be. We're just two people who have got experiences in the music scene. If you do want more information on anything that we've talked about or you think that there's something we've missed, please get in touch on our socials or via email and we can signpost you in the right direction. Joining us on this episode is the account executive for Be Hooked Digital by day and by night he's a DJ. On top of this, he is the head of events at Dork Magazine and he's an artist manager. Welcome, Liam James Ward. Hey guys, thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Obviously, uh, Pivotal yesterday, which was fantastic. Yeah. You uh, you do like to keep yourself quite, quite busy. For, for anyone that um, is listening that hasn't come across you before, could you elaborate on your on your career so far? Yeah, um, so I'm so I'm originally from Stourbridge, which is um, a small little town in Dudley, but I don't normally say that part, um, just outside <laughs> of Birmingham. Uh, and yeah, basically did the whole being in a band thing for years, uh, kind of helped out in studios, helped out in venues, etc. Then I went to uni, started a club night, started managing a couple of people in a really casual sense. By that I mean I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and then I moved to London to work for Warner Music for a couple of years. And then from there, I now work at Be Hook Digital, which is a social media agency. And yeah, essentially we run like digital and creative campaigns for artists across all sorts of genres and sizes. And then as you kind of said, alongside that, um, I run all the club nights and live music nights for Dork Magazine across the country. And then also, yeah, I DJ as well. Um, so yeah, pretty busy, as you said. I don't know how you have time for it all, to be honest. Oh, you know sleep? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what that is, basically. <laughs> uh, you, you did just mention you're, you're DJing a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Did you start that off uh, quite organically or did it just come kind of... Yeah, no, so what it was, was basically when I went to uni, a lot of my friends just happened to be DJs because I, I did audio system technology at uni, which nice. is um, kind of this sort of stuff, you know, like kind of um, production, but then also some of the more sciencey stuff like acoustics and, you know, the electronics behind it all. So I think naturally a lot of people on that course were DJs anyway, and I kind of fell into it a little bit um, through that. There was this club that was essentially an over-glorified Weatherspoons in Huddersfield. And um, they were advertising they wanted to start an indie club night. And I was like, I like indie. And, you know, I kind of know roughly how to DJ. But by that, I meant, you know, kind of iTunes and virtual DJ <laughs> on my laptop. I play on a computer. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so kind of just got pulled into that by pretending that I completely knew what I was doing. I remember the first night turning up, looking at the decks and just going okay cool this is a little bit more than I thought it was going to be <laughs> kind of winged it um, but it went really well and then from there I went and started my own club night which again kind of did quite well um, and basically I just didn't really trust anyone else to, to DJ it so I did it myself 
And I kind of didn't want to do that. I kind of wanted to find someone else, but whenever I let other people do it, it was always like, oh, this isn't quite the vibe I want. It's like, one of those things where if you want the job done right, do it yourself. Exactly. And then it just kind of snowballed from there, pretty much. More recently, um, through conversations with different people all across the industry, um, it kind of came to the conclusion of like, you're actually like, kind of good at this. Why don't you actually do it more seriously? And then, yeah, signed an agent last month, and then it's all just kind of been snowballing from there, as these sort of things always do. <laughs> yeah, and you played Reading last month. How was that? Yeah, Reading was fantastic. Um, it was in the VIP area, so it was a bit of a weird vibe. Like, it wasn't like, you know, I'm not going to pretend I was on main stage or anything, but it was like, <laughs> it was in kind of the VIP bar, um, which was a weird vibe because you're kind of there and you're playing music and you're like, oh, crap, that guy, the guy I'm playing is literally in the crowd right now. <laughs> and I actually, I, you know what, I will tell it's you... It's a real like, experience. I'll though. tell you a funny story. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but basically um, I was playing Eminem at one yes. point and a mate came over um, who's really good friends with um, Machine Gun Kelly. I actually wanted to ask you about it. I was dying <laughs> to know what anyway. and Yeah, no, it, it's kind of got blown out of proportion a little bit, but essentially someone came over a mate and was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah, we were catching up. So by the way, like Machine Gun Kelly's in the crowd and I was just like oh cool and then I was like oh wait that's a thing <laughs> I'm like playing Eminem while Machine Gun Kelly is in the crowd listening I basically at the end of my set thought you know it's a good opportunity to go and yeah. say hello so I kind of went over and was just like oh hey man just like you know sorry I don't know if you saw it was me playing just I'm like, you know sorry it wasn't intentional I wasn't like, taking the mick out of you or anything because um, my mate had said that he was actually getting a bit arsy about it which is a bit sad in itself and yeah he just basically told me to do one like, really yeah and then um, it was one of those things where even though it sounds like something that could have happened, I didn't prepare for that situation. So rather than, you know, coming back with something really sarcastic, which would be the classic Liam style, <laughs> yeah. I go and just went, uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> just walked away, walked back over to my girlfriend. I was like, oh, how, how'd it go? That was a bit short. And I was like, yeah, no, let's not talk about it. And then, yeah, I ended up tweeting about how it kind of happened and it just spiraled into a, a bit of a meme between my mates that I'm now in beef with Machine Gun Kelly. Brilliant. And he's going to bring out a diss track. But yeah, that's what happened with that. But sorry, back to the question. Yeah, Reading was, Reading was great. It was eventful. Um, you know, the good thing with playing a show like that in front of like VIPs and stuff is a few people did come over and was like, I've got this going on, this going on, this going on. Do you want to come and play? Amazing. And it was like, well, yeah, that's exactly why I'm here. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, don't really know how it's happening, but yeah, let's do it. Why not? <laughs> no, no complaints. Exactly. <laughs> Jade spoke to you recently about your, uh, your experiences with mental health. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that and where it started? Yeah, so mental health has always been something that's been really important to me, which is why obviously we end up having the conversation of yeah. like, I'd seen the podcast and I think we'd kind of been talking anyway and I kind of just said like, you know, I'd, I'd really be keen to be involved in this in, in some way because when I was, well, when I used to live like around here, when I lived in Stourbridge and I was doing the whole band thing, I think I had classic like little town syndrome where it was like I didn't realise there was a much bigger world out there mm -hmm. um, and thus, you know, obviously became quite, depressed basically and just was not having a good time and it, you know in combination with being in a band and you know kind of touring um, around the country and getting paid nothing getting paid in beer which is if anything counterproductive yeah yeah. Um, yeah basically just wasn't having a good time and then when I moved away I thought it was all going to be good and fresh again um, but basically was in uni you know did all the typical uni things where I basically lived in squalor and <laughs> didn't sleep and <laughs> did god knows what when i was awake and those sort of things obviously aren't going to have a good impression or a good um, effect on your own mental health yeah. so just continue to get worse basically um and then I, I know we touched on it yesterday but basically then going from that where you're a uni student and then you're 19 you move to london and going 
you know, working a major label. Um, it was a really weird experience where suddenly I, you know, still had this internal like character of being an idiot. Because even by uni standards, you can ask anyone who went to my uni, I was an absolute idiot. Um, and basically, then being in a world where I was in London, going to gigs and you know doing going to pies and smart and like networking with all sorts of people, and then having the additional pressure of what we were talking about yesterday of feeling that constant need to have to always be working and have to always be talking to people and being out and making sure you're meeting people. It was all just this massive cocktail to basically, I just completely lost my head, completely just lost who I was and just, yeah, just was not having, again, not really having a good time at all. Um, but then fortunately, um, I kind of, I actually went back to uni to go and finish my degree because uh, it was just an internal conversation that I'd had with myself. I was like, I wanna, I wanna do this, even though everything was pointing that elsewhere. Um, but I'm really glad I did because it kind of helped me clean myself up a bit. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of, doing that I think really brought me back to, to, uh, to be honest with you, I, you know, I was 21 so I think a lot of people start figuring stuff out a bit around that age. Some people don't but some people do. Um, I think it probably is an age where, you know, you're coming out of your young adulthood, you, you're coming into more of actually being a real human being. So yeah, started to figure things out and somehow came out the other side of it all. And in all honesty, you know, I don't really look back at things and think I really regret that because I wouldn't be who I am and I wouldn't yeah, be doing definitely. what I'm doing now mm -hmm. if all those things hadn't happened. But I'm also very aware that it was not good while I was there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting when you're talking about that point of your life where you're 21 or around that age, you know, usually, you know, sometimes maybe not, but you're usually kind of coming out of university or education mm -hmm. and, and kind of a thrust into a world, basically. Yeah. And um, the onus goes onto your shoulders. Mm -hmm. You go from being walked through uh, kind of a cookie cutter style, right, yeah. well, this is what this is what we're gonna do, this is what you're gonna do, this is your structure and your routine every day, this is the rules and these are the do's and don'ts. And then all of a sudden, potentially the world is your oyster. Mm -hmm. And that can be a big thing. It's a, it's a similar sort of um, loss of structure when people finish their tours. Mm -hmm. and yeah, then, totally. And then it's kind of like, now everything's loose, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, a lot of people definitely, obviously come out of union, it's like, oh wow, I've literally spent what, 16 years of my life going through school, going through college, going through university. Um, I think I was really, really in a fortunate position to basically, once I came out of uni, I had a job waiting for me. Um, and you know, I don't at all um, take that for granted. I did school, did college, did uni, didn't have any gap years. And then when I went back to work at Warner properly, um, I handed in my dissertation, jumped on a train to Great Escape with a backpack full of clothes. Um, because I'd, Great Escape is one of my favourite weekends of the year and it was basically just going to be uh, you know, a weekend, come back, have like the summer off and then try and mm. really clamp down on getting everything sorted but on the train down to Brighton I basically emailed Warner and was like hey by the way I've finished my degree now so if you'll have me back I'd love to come back and then basically expected maybe a reply in two weeks being like oh yeah we'll let you know I had an email within half an hour and it was like oh we've got this job in A&R coordination and it'd be perfect for you do you want to come and do that oh, wow. the only thing is you need to start Monday so I was already on my train to Brighton and basically didn't go back home <laughs> for the entire summer. So I went to Brighton and yeah, then basically- Straight up to London. Straight up to London, mm -hmm. lived on friend's sofas for months. Um, and again, really fortunate to have people who would help me out like that. Yeah. It's kind of a double-edged sword where I was really fortunate to basically walk out of uni and go straight into a job. But also mm. um, talking about burnout yesterday, obviously, I think, yeah, doing that. And then even when I went to Be Hooked, like I basically finished Warner on like a Tuesday and then started Be Hooked on the Wednesday. Like I think like my entire life, I've never really had that time <laughs> off that some people do. 
And, you know, I, I mean, I am lucky to, although, although obviously it's all crazy, I'm doing stuff that I love, so it's kind of a bit better than if I was doing stuff I wasn't. But yeah, I think there was a point where I was like, I'm literally going to hit a wall at some point. Mm. So I remember there, there, I, I did go on holiday this summer and it was the first holiday I've ever done that was like, phone off, I'm sat by a pool, the sun's, and it was weird for me because I've never done that, like sitting by the pool, we're in Croatia, like family holiday sort of thing. It was with my girlfriend's family. Um, but yeah, that I think I needed that so much. Came back and was like, cool, I've hit reset after, mm. you know, 16 years or whatever. Uh, I can kind of get going again. I did exactly the same just mm. a few weeks ago. Like I'd never been on a proper holiday where you just switch off, lay by the beach, lay by the pool. Like I knew I needed a holiday, but going on it, it just hit me and I was like, wow, I really needed that. But then, because mm-hmm. I'd been constantly working for so many years, it came to the last couple of days and I was itching to get back mm, to work. But yeah. I just knew that I was refreshed and ready. It was yeah. a healthy thing. Totally. Technology is so insidious now that it's so easy just to, the temptation's there, oh, I'll just check. You're always connected. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, the thing is as well, like when, you know, realistically, when it was, we're in a world where being on emails was being on your laptop. Obviously, mm. you're not really going to take your laptop on holiday with you. I mean, I, I actually do, but yeah, <laughs> I, I almost. <laughs> but, do, but, but, but it's basically just in case. But to be honest with you, I probably shouldn't even do that. It probably should just be leave it completely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing is, now we're at a point where your laptop is in your pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, so there's almost that guilt where it's like you know that if something's going wrong, the well, you think that if if something's going wrong, people involved in the situation like why isn't he getting yeah. back to me? Like, yeah. he he's, he's probably on his phone scrolling through Twitter, so why is he not you yeah. know, checking his emails and stuff? Yeah. Um, but I think you kind of have to let go of that a bit and have trust mm. in, you know, your team and, you know, the people around you and the people you work with. Because realistically, um, to be honest with you, if, if they are thinking like that, you're in the wrong team and you need to leave. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. At Warner, you could get in trouble for emailing on holiday because like, that, that's how much they were like, when you're on holiday, yeah. that's great, go though. on holiday. I think we need more companies with that sort of attitude. Exactly. Mm. Everyone just expects you to respond all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I say, I had an interesting experience that was quite similar. I had a family member who uh, w- w- went on holiday and basically ruined the holiday because they there was a work thing that mm-hmm. exploded um, mid-holiday and they were, it had this horrible conundrum where they were like, well, what do I do? Do I leave it? Do I ignore it? But people are expecting me to reply. So they replied and they, they got into it and it became a stressful holiday and it, it really it ruined kind of what could have been like a really nice kind of 10 days away. Thank yeah. God I wasn't involved. I was on the other side of the country. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's things like that, that that kind of make you go, oh, like we live in a society now, which is you're, you're expected to be on call 24-7. Mm-hmm. It's kind of productive as well, to be honest with you. Like, you go on holiday and, you know, I mean, it's obvious that like, you go on holiday to rest. But the thing is, if you're working while on holiday, it's going to be 10 times stressful while working in the office because you can't, you know, talk, talk so directly. You can't, you know, we all know that when you get an email sometimes, you're like, are they angry at me? Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, are those exclamation marks excitement or what? Like, so when you're being on holiday, it's going to, all the things that would normally be pretty stressful anyway, are going to be 10 times stressful. Yeah, so you're going to come back and you're going to be like ruined. You know what I mean? Like you're going to, it's completely counterproductive. Like, yeah. all, and to be honest, you're probably, nine times out of ten not going to do as good of a job anyway because because of all the same things that like you can't you're not in it so mm-hmm. it, it's better leaving it for a week than it is doing it there and then for mm-hmm. most things obviously should we talk a little bit about about the triggers for jumping back to the to the mental health i know you're quite vocal about your anxiety mm-hmm. um are there certain things uh, in your life that have been triggers that, that have triggered you in line with that Ooh, triggers um i don't know if there's anything specific um i think 
to be honest with you, I don't know if I have a specific trigger. Like I know some people obviously are in um, positions where even just talking about specific subjects and stuff can make them really nervous. I've always been like a really open person. Like as you said, like I'm really open about like all my own struggles and everything. Because um, it's like if you're not, well, um, if you're just holding it inside, it's just going to be worse. Is my is my opinion on it. But no, I don't think I have specific triggers i think all the obvious things that basically just make someone nervous just make me even more like well past nervous and into anxiety um i think i think like a lot of people who um basically were really like kind of smart at school um and then kind of went into adulthood and were like uh, i don't know how to ask for help and i don't know all these things because obviously with the typical person at school who didn't really study much but still did really well mm. which I think a lot of people probably still hate me for but um, <laughs> yeah literally was the guy who would like revise the night before roll up to the exam probably 10 minutes late and still somehow do pretty alright so I think then taking that into adulthood means that you know you don't really know how to ask for help you don't know how mm. to you don't know how to study like when I went to uni I was like I don't know how to do this yeah. I don't know how to study like on a constant level and revise because yeah. I've never had to do this before but bringing that back to like anxiety, it's, I I, th- I think I can just get so wrapped up in my own head with certain things. Like um, I'm basically a classic overthinker. But the thing is with it all, and I know one of the main things I was talking about was basically um, I've always felt like my anxiety, although it's awful, like helps me a lot. Yeah. Which I think some people probably wouldn't want to hear because it's like, no, this is awful. We need to stamp it out. Mm. But I've I've kind of reached this point in my life where I've you know I've, I've been fortunate enough to stamp out like the depression in my life and like. Or, you know the really really dark horrible stuff in my head like it's gone but there is still that that twerk and that sickness of anxiety in positions where I would normally be you know nervous anyway but just on tenfold like when, before I go on stage before a show you know I'm there like sweating and like people probably can't even tell because I hold it in so much but I'm like I, I literally feel like I'm about to cry right now but again I think I'm a really fortunate person because um, I've never done anything to try and move it towards that but I somehow along the line switched it from rather than my anxiety like pushing me into a corner and going, you know, you you can't do this, so therefore, you know, you shouldn't even try. It's like you can't do this, but you know, so I'm going to go and make sure I do it 110 percent mm. to make sure I do do it. Because that in itself, um, I th- I think a lot through my life I've had so many people tell me you can't do this. Like not even just that irrational thought. Like I've had people literally say to me, "You can't go and do, you can't go to uni. You're not going to get into uni. You're doing so terribly in college." Like, and I did. You know what I mean? You can't go and be a DJ. Well, I mean, I am. You can't move to London. I did. You know what I mean? Mm. I, I think it gets to this point where even when the irrational thoughts in your head are saying you can't do this, it's like, dude, you've told me this ten million times, and I've done it before, so I'm going to do it again. And yeah, sometimes I'm wrong, and you know, I fall over, but that's fine. You just get back up again. You know what mm. I mean? You know, I think rational thought is something that isn't necessarily synonymous with anxiety. But I think if you really can just keep trying to keep your head screwed on and th- as much as possible, like compartmentalize and rationalize and go, you know, okay, cool. Well, you know, last week you thought the world was going to end because whatever small situation happened and it didn't. Mm. So surely, even though you're so definitely thinking right now, the world is going to end again because mm. of this small thing. 
come on man like yeah. be a little bit more realistic like internally obviously I mean, yeah. you can't really go saying that to people who are in the middle of an anxiety attack <laughs> or yourself walking like, down like the street like you said though every, <laughs> exactly. everyone handles it different and not everyone wants to hear that but when I spoke to you on the phone and you said that I was like yes Liam come on like, <laughs> I loved it because something switched with me a few years ago and I, I kind of became the same attitude and I was just like your ego is just trying to fight you and like you said the, mm-hmm. the world doesn't end things just keep moving and you just find a way through it yeah I'm, I've got I, I've, I've got so many friends and I won't I won't name names because I'll probably actually listen to this but um, I, I mean I've said it to them so it's not that bad but I have friends who are some of the most talented people I've ever met in my entire life but they're not doing anything you know say they're musicians they're like they write a song and I'm like dude that's sick get it out now mm. and then they're like yeah, yeah yeah I'm gonna get it out and then a week later I'm like where's this tune man and they're just like oh like I went back on it and like I wasn't that sure and all this stuff I'm like okay, but you've been seeing this for five years, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's like, you're always definitely gonna about to release something and then you go back on it. Sometimes you've just got to go, you know, press the button and put it out there. Mm-hmm. And then you'll realize that, you know, actually it's very good. Um, that, that's kind of what, I think why I I always work with other people. Like I, I'm, I'm lucky to have a really good team around me. And I say team, like it's not even like on an official level. Like even like my agent is like really, really one of my best mates. I think and we could tell that by the way you signed the contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, for p- people listening, basically, I, he signed the contract with me bent over on the floor, signing <laughs> on my butt, um, and then I signed it on his face, and it was basically to completely demoralise each other to make it even. It was just so, it was so dumb. The thing you didn't see is we did it at a festival called One Ten Above, and basically I was like running around going like, I need a printer. And people are like, oh, why? And I'm there with like, you know, like a VIP pass on and everything. So people are a bit like, oh God, this guy, wh- why does this guy need a printer? We need to figure it out. And, like, yeah. and I'm just I'm like, I don't have the heart to tell them. I basically just want to get a contract like printed so that I can sign it now at this festival. I could easily do it next week, yeah, but yeah. kind of wanted it to be a real moment. Literally my best mate, a guy called Martin is like my creative director and he has been for years. And it's weird to say that because basically that, that's such an official way of just saying like he's a very talented like producer, graphic designer, videographer, everything. So it's like anything in my life that has anything to do with that, it's like cool, Martin, you do this. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And even like projects that I work with on an official level, like it's like Martin would always be my go-to guy. So I think having that team of people around me um, has always helped. And also basically going back to what I was saying is they will say to me like, dude, you're overthinking, like just put it out. My girlfriend's the same as well. Like she, she can overthink sometimes, and I'll just go, "Do what you're doing. Like, just do it. Like, it's yeah. fine. Just go." You can end up paralysed, can't you? Exactly. Just questioning everything, questioning each corner. Well, yeah. should I do this? Should I do that? Like, mm-hmm. should I wait? And you're just, you've just got to go for it sometimes. And I yeah. think, like, the way that you've you've handled your career and the the steps that you've you've made, a testament to to just going out and doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally. Um, it's funny. We we were talking about like Jack Parker. Um, before we started recording, shout out Jackie, Jackie B. B. Yeah, the boy. Um. I've told him this, and it's, it's kind of it's kind of cringe, but um, he was one of my biggest like mentors growing up, uh, because basically, obviously, we talked about the fact that um, I kind of moved away from Birmingham before I turned eighteen. So although I was kind of watching all this really cool Birmingham scene happening, I never really had the opportunity to be part of it. Um, but Jack, being Jackie P, um, 
was always this person that I kind of always looked up to. And I remember so specifically, and this is really funny because I feel like you'll never realise how big this was for me. <laughs> I went to go and see Jaws, typical Birmingham thing to say, but um, <laughs> went to go and see Jaws at the Institute. And Jack came, this before I knew him, Jack came out because he was their merch guy on that tour. And he like dived into the crowd and was like crowd surfing. <laughs> he was just being Jackie. He was basically. being Jack, yeah. And I, I literally, um, as like a 16 year old was like, God, what is this about? Like, what? It's so um, cool. My mate, my mate Jack, um, who's now a DJ in the drum and bass scene um, around here, is a guy called Artu. Actually, maybe you might know. I know him. Jack Grosvenor. Yeah, Jack Grosvenor. Literally, I went to college with him, and again, he probably doesn't realise how much of an effect he had on me because we yeah. went to college together, and he took me to that show, and I was like, "Who the hell is this guy yeah. diving on me?" Yeah. Um, and he was, like, "Oh, it's Jackie P. He's like this DJ. He's this really cool guy." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, no way!" Like, so I added him on Facebook and I messaged him and was yeah. like this nerdy little kid and basically I used to do so I was talking about it last night as well like so many people in the Birmingham scene I'd message and be like hey dude like I'd love some advice and they just ignored me and yeah. now they're the people turning around to me being yeah. like yeah. oh dude can you help me with this I'm like dude you, literally the message before this message yeah. is me asking you five years ago <laughs> like for help. right there but Jack literally <laughs> I'd message him being like how do you do what you do and he said you just do it and I remember at the time thinking, what a pretentious <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then I now find myself in a position where people say to me, how do you do what you do? And I just and you're say, like, I just do I it. I just do it. <laughs> like, and it always rings back to that moment. Is there, is there pressure that comes with, um, I guess, that responsibility that you've grown into? Um, I don't know if there's so much obligatory pressure, um, but I think I do put like, pressure on myself because I think I've brought it into part of like who I am and what, what I do. And I, I've always said this and will always say this because of those things that I went through. If anyone asked me for help, you know, sometimes I might say, I, honestly, I, I can't, there's nothing I can do here, but you know, this is what I'd advise. But if, if I can, like I will go to the end of the earth to people I've met once to help them, um, especially with career, because you know, it takes five seconds for me to reply to a message. I was on the night out a few a few weeks ago actually, and I just got talking to this guy and he was talking about how he wants to get in the music industry. And he couldn't decide what uni to go to. And I helped him decide what uni to go to. Wow. And he messaged me like a couple of days later being like, I literally applied for that uni because of that conversation. Wow. And Changing that, lives. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean that as like, you know, I'm this martyr or anything going around changing and helping lives. But I, I, I get so much out of that. Like even doing stuff like this, like I needed to hear this. If I can, you know, just say this, and I, I get enjoyment out of this obviously anyway, but then if this then goes on to help people, like, great because I needed that yeah. um, I feel like there's not that pressure obligation to, to, to go and help people and you know help people along but just because of who I am and what I'm about I want to do that so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the music industry is kind of moving in that direction where we've got more people like you that are willing to help out which which is amazing it's what we need really mm -hmm. are there um, support networks that you've made use of in uh, in kind of turning your corner and and kind of having your clarity that you as you in seem the to mental have now. health like support network. To be honest with you, no. Like literally, we, obviously, we did this panel yesterday, and uh, the two the two other guys on it were from like mental health support networks. Um, it was help musicians. Help musicians UK and music support. Yeah, and I mean, literally, I was sat there. I, I mean, I told you, I, I felt like bringing my notebook out. And going, <laughs> These guys are saying some great stuff. Yeah. Um, and no, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm very aware of those things, but I think I was probably just before that wave of it all coming in where yeah. I'd actually figured it out on my own um, a little bit, which, which, you know, is fine. But um, to hear that the stuff's out there, again, it's the sort of thing where I'm like, I needed that like years ago. Mm. Um, and it's great that we're in a position now where people can get that. And to be honest with you, they were probably about then, but 
they weren't at the forefront that they are now. So, yeah. um, so but to answer the question, no, I've never really utilized it because when I needed it, I wasn't aware of it. So I'm really thankful that people are aware of it now. Yeah, that's a really good point. What, what was it in particular that helped you cope then and maintain and get better with your anxiety and things? Was it more internally and you telling yourself things and just realizing that you were doing too much and burning out or was there anything particular from anyone else? I think it was basically just having that evidence there. Like I think I, when, I, when I was younger, I was, um, like I was always mates with the cool kids, but I was never a cool kid. And mm. like I was always around successful people and, knew, and was always like in the right pockets, but me myself didn't really have anything under my belt to prove. But then when, when I kind of, you know, when I w went to uni and started this club night and people from home and people who I went to school with were like, yeah, Yo, your club night looks awesome. Like, I want to come up for it mm. sometime. And b being the kid who was always just in the, in the background, um, to suddenly like people be like, oh, yeah, you you're doing like really well. And that was like years ago. Like, so, so to be in a position now, where like my, my mom like is always so vocal on Facebook, kind of embarrassingly. About <laughs> every, I think everything I post on Facebook, she shares with like a really long caption. Yes, my mom and is exactly the same. So, so <laughs> shout outs to the moms. Exactly. But like, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit hard to say because basically what it is, is I've basically been able to do the things that uh, people always said I couldn't do. Yeah. So therefore gave me the, the, the kind of the tools to then say, Okay, cool. Well, every time I think now that I can't do this, I've proved already to myself that I can do go and do those things. I'd love to say like I had this like magic recipe that like cured it and switched it all, but I don't think I ever really found that. Um, I think it was purely just going and taking these risks. I mean, I guess the thing to say is just take small risks and then get, let them get bigger and bigger. You know what I mean? Like go and go and do the small things that seem really hard and just work up. I can't think specifically, but there's probably things now that like, I mean, I, I'd love to move to America one day, but I'm not gonna do that tomorrow. You know mm. what I mean? Like, because I'm like, sensibly- You never know, you move to London well, without knowing. <laughs> yeah, good point actually. But, but like, as in that, that kind of rational voice in me is a bit like, you know, I mean, you sh maybe you, you shouldn't, I mean, I don't want to, if I really wanted to just pack up and go tomorrow, I probably could, but, um, that is a thing that's in my head. That that's something I do. I don't want to get to forty and go. Oh, I wanted to do that. So it's something I want to get around to. But I want to make sure that my own internal like um, pushing downness um, doesn't push that down. Um, but obviously there were smaller things way way back when um, that seemed again like seemed like massive immovable objects that were small things realistically, and you got past. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Like literally thinking back to when I played that first um, DJ show in that like crappy bar in Huddersfield and I turned up and didn't know how the decks worked. I literally remember like going into the toilet and like, ha like literally having to calm myself down. Yeah. And then I did Reading last month, you know what I mean? So um, I think being able to look back and go, what, like <laughs> five years ago, I was freaking out probably just as much about that. And then now I'm freaking out and that that's fine. I, I, it's kind of understandable to freak out before you go on stage for something like that. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that's completely fine. I, I think it's more weird if you don't. Exactly. <laughs> to be fair, that's the thing in itself. Like, it's just fine you, yeah. sometimes. You know, if if you're going to freak out before going and doing something that scares you, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Like, and I think people can put pressure on themselves that they say, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be getting so nervous right now. Yeah. And then that doubles it up because you're getting nervous about the fact you're getting nervous. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? If you just say, oh, it's, it's completely fine for this yeah. to be happening right now, it's a completely natural response. Um, that can help in itself. But yeah, basically just taking those incremental, like getting bigger and scarier. And then five years ago, I wouldn't even begin to dream I'd be doing the stuff I'm doing now. So therefore, when I, you know, five years from now, 
I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe I'm, I'll move back to Birmingham and, you know, maybe I'll completely be done with the music industry and decide that, you know, I really like woodwork. I'm going to build a chair. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's fine. You know, I, I don't think I, I don't have any issues with that. If that's what I want to do one day, then yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. But right now, um, I'm so happy with the trajectory that I'm on. Um, but basically, what I'm trying to say in that is I just, you don't know what you're going to yeah. I don't know what I'm going to be doing next week, realistically. Yeah. It could all mm. turn upside down and, um, or it could completely, something massive could happen. I don't know. And that's just part of life. You just kind of got to go with it. To, to pick up on something you mentioned just a little bit earlier, um, I think it is like critically important to, uh, you know, as your journey is progressing, to take stock and look at what you've achieved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, no, it's yeah. so important. Like you're, so important. It's paramount, I think. I mean, I remember being in a situation where I'd come out of university. I thought I was going to get a job at The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Lol. Um, <laughs> Love it. And, um, Shout out the Guardian. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to work there. Please give me a job. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I remember thinking, right, well, I haven't got a job there. Like maybe not quite hit rock bottom, but I'd come out of a relationship. I was reassessing myself at 21 at that age, that kind of you know pivotal age. And uh, I just remember, I think I signed on to Job Seekers for something like two months, and it was it was all I needed. It was someone just telling me make a note of what you're doing every day but they said you're obviously aware of what you what you want to do what you need to do how you're going to get there just make a note and look back at it every week and bring it into me and do this and that's something that I've carried on doing and, and kept on looking back at and, and making a note of and seeing what I've done just yeah. as, a, as a personal kind of um, achievement diary I guess oh, do, I mean I'm the biggest culprit of swiping down my own Instagram feed all the time <laughs> like going back and looking what I was doing a year ago and going right to the back right, right to the very start and I was like I was having anxiety about whether it was like I was using the right filter and you know whether I was like skewing everything up properly for this really artsy picture that mm. got eight likes you know what I mean <laughs> um, something I've always spoke about is um, how much bad advice I've had over the years like I've had some bad mentors in, in my time I've had some great mentors but I've had some people who really not put me on the right path um, in the past and someone who although was very good used to come out with some stuff that now I look back I'm like what, what are you on about um, and one of them I, I remember saying to him do you ever just stop and like look around at what you've got? And he was like, no, never look around. Just keep going, keep going. I think that's an awful piece of advice, to be honest with you. I think you should even, you know, not. I'm not even talking on, on the level of like, oh, I'm DJing Reading and then I'm looking back at the... There's more than career and vocation as well, like looking at your own happiness and looking at your relationships. Yeah. Like when I was 18, my relationship with my mom wasn't that great. It wasn't awful, like yeah. don't get me wrong, but I, I barely ever came home from uni because I was just so uninterested in all of it. And now I'm in a position where I have a great relationship with my mom, I have a great relationship with my family. I think even being able to just take stock of that like, mm. is really important. Have you got any upcoming plans um, for the next year, I guess? Next year? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, obviously, sign this agency. Um, so basically keeping an eye on DJing. I'm playing with Charlie Simpson from Busted tonight. That's pretty hilarious. I really want to um, That's amazing. <laughs> guys, come. It's like, three, it's like a three-pound train. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, it's going to be a good night. Um, so, I mean... That's the immediate plan. That's tonight. But um, basically, there's this talks of a few festivals next year. Um, talking about my actual career as well. Everything at Be Hooked is going amazing. Um, working on some, with some great artists. That is just continuing to grow and grow. Um, if anyone who's listening wants to be entertained by uh, Liam's antics on his social media, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at LMJWD. Awesome. And if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at versus podcast underscore and on Facebook where versus podcast one. Uh, Liam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's been and great. also, yeah, everyone listening, like definitely keep an eye on this because this is this is great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>